0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your horror pop culture needs, from reviews to top ten lists, interviews, and everything in between. They also have a great library of podcasts, which I highly suggest you check out after you're done with this episode here. Now, speaking of this episode here, we're going to go back to some of our, well, original roots, I would say. It's not true crime, it's not any sort of event. We're going to take a look at an ancient Mesopotamian demon. Yes, maybe even a god, depending on how you want to look at it. His name is Nergal, and he is the god of war, and even the god of the underworld. Omitus. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Amidus. Nurgle is a demon from ancient Mesopotamia who wears quite a few hats. This deity who was worshipped throughout ancient Mesopotamia with the main seat of his worship at Kutha, represented by... The mound of Tel Ibrahim. He was also known as Meslamtea, Era, or Ira. Now, what are some of the defining attributes of this god? Or demon, or spirit, or entity, deity, whatever you want to go with? Well, Nurgle had a multitude of functions in the religions of ancient Mesopotamia and its neighboring regions. A few number of lists have him as having the highest or one of the highest numbers of epithets out there of all documented deities, with the An-Anum list alone providing around a hundred. He was especially closely related to war, disease, and the underworld, and according to Franz Wiggerman, can be understood as a quote, god of infected death. However, Nurgle's warlike nature also made him a god, defending the realm, whose presence was regarded as necessary for peace. In this role, he was known under the title Lugal Silma, or Lord of Peace. I do want to jump in here just one second and go off script and say, yes, I'm butchering names. It's been pointed out to me a lot. I apologize if I say anything wrong, and the wonderfully snide YouTube comments don't really help the matter at all and really don't make me want to fix the issue but I digress. Let's just continue on with Nergal here. He was invoked in apotropaic rituals, as well as his fearsome reputation was believed to keep houses safe from evil. A few of Nergal's titles point at occasional association with vegetation and agriculture, namely the Lord of the Poplar, which is a type of tree, or Lord of the Date Palm, obviously another type of tree, also known as Lord of the Dates. Tree or fruit. I think it's a fruit that grows, I believe, on trees. The symbol most commonly associated with Nergal includes bull, wild oxen, lions, lion headed maces, and scimitars. Some descriptions on cylinder seals depict him as a flat cap associated with the underworld deities. War standards could serve as a symbolic depiction of Nergal, too, and the Assyrians often carry such objects representing him as well, into battle. Now, at some point, he changed from a god of war and agriculture to lord of the underworld. He just sort of developed over time, evolved, if you will. In the mythology, this occurred when Enlil and Ninlil gave him the underworld. Before the Ur period, Nergal was regarded as a god of the underworld in modern Mesopotamia while a number of other similar gods associated with snakes fulfilled similar functions in the south, with Ninazu, called Center, and Enigi being particularly closely associated with this tradition. These two views gradually merged, leading to the concept of a Nurgle as a bit of a couple with another goddess, Ereshkigal. They're sort of the power couple of the underworld. Think of Hades and Persephone, that sort of vibe going on. Growing influence of Nergal in the south in later periods is visible in the changes in the Nyazu's genealogy. He started to be viewed as the son of Enlil and Ninlil, like Nergal. Additionally, Enigi, his main cult center, was referred to as the dwelling of Nurgal of Enigi. In some texts, even before Nurgal became popular in the south, As a god of the afterlife, Nergal was associated with sunset in poetry. Now, Mesopotamians believed that the sun traveled through the land of the dead at night, and with judgment. Rule over the underworld was initially described as bestowed upon him by his parents, with his function being to decide fates of the dead the same way as Enlil did for the living. Some believe Nergal also had a role in the stars, or an astral role, if you will. Now, a number of scholars in the early 20th century, for example, E.G.H. Kraling, assumed that Nergal was in part a solar deity, sometimes identified with Shamash, only to be representative of a certain phase of the sun, specifically the sun of noontime and of the summer solstice that brings destruction, high summer being the dead season in Mesopotamian annual cycles. Our good friend Franz Wiggerman considers Mars to be Nergal's sole astral domain, though he mentions day demons among his entourage. God lists associate him with Simut, an Elamite god viewed as a personification of Mars in Mesopotamia rather than Shamash. Nergal has nonetheless also been called the King of Sunsets in ancient texts possibly due to the belief that at night the sun travels through the underworld, which is his domain. Nikita Artemov refers to Nergal as a deity with, quote, solar character, but relates it to the sun's journey to the underground like some of the other ones. Christopher Woods discusses Nergal's solar title in relation to rituals, compelling ghosts to return to the underworld through the gates to the sunset, and to Shamash, whose role as a judge during his underworld travels. Nergal was conflated with many other similar gods, and his name was sometimes used as an ideographic way to describe names of such deities. Era, originally a distinct figure, had been fully equated with Nergal after the old Babylonian period, and subsequently his name appears only in the literary and theological contexts, often with the same texts using both names interchangeably. Nergal was consistently described as son of Enlil and Ninlil, as we discussed, but there were multiple conflicting traditions regarding Nergal's wife, the goddess Laz, Mami, and Admu. They were all referred to as his wives at different points in time. Laz and Mami were eventually combined into one. In Grisu, an unusual local tradition presented Ninshubur as Nergal's wife no other examples of the female form of Ninshibur. Being the spouse of other deities are known. At an unclear point in time though, no earlier than the Babylonian period, the view of Nergal and Urshkigal as husband and wife were also developed, likely in order to reconcile the two conflicting views of the netherworld. There are no well-attested traditions about Nergal's children, though a minor god named Subula, known almost exclusively from personal names from the Ur-period, is stated to be his son in the god list and unam The same god list mentions a daughter named Dadmustum. What do you say we get into some myths about Nergal here? Well, there's a specific one about Nergal and Urshkigal. Two versions of this myth are known, with the difference between them being the intent of Urshkigal, The plot and the ultimate outcome remain largely the same, however. After Nergal fails to pay respect to Erskigal during a feast where he acts as a proxy of his mistress, she demands to have him sent to the underworld to answer for it. One known copy states that she planned to kill Nergal, but this detail is absent from the other two copies, presenting the second version of the story. Nergal descends into the underworld, but he is able to avoid many of its dangers thanks to advice given to him by Ea. However, he ignores one of them and has sex with Urshkigal. After six days, he decides to leave with Urshkigal asleep. After noticing that he's gone, she dispatches Namtar and demands the other gods to convince Nergal to return again, threatening to open the gates of the Underworld if she doesn't get what she asks for. Nergal is handed over to her once again. In the Amarna version, where Erskigal initially planned to kill Nergal, he defeats Namtar and prepares to kill Erskigal himself. To save herself, though, she suggests that they can get married and share the Underworld. The two other known copies give the myth a happy ending, as noted by Assyriologist Alhena Gadotti, Quote, The two deities seem to reunite and live happily ever after. End quote. And the myth concludes with the line, Quote, They impetuously entered the bedchamber. Hmm. Uh, that's a book I want to read right there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, according to Assyriologists such as Stephanie Daly, the purpose of the narrative was most likely to find a way to reconcile two different views of the underworld. There is another myth out there called the Epic of Era, and Nergal has desires to wage war to counter the state of inertia he has found himself in. His weapon urged him to take action, while his sukal ishum attempts to stop him. Nergal dismisses the latter, noting that it is necessary to regain respect in the eyes of humans, his first goal is Babylon. Through trickery, he manages to convince Marduk to leave his temple. However, Marduk soon returns for Nergal to successfully start his campaign. And as a result, in a long speech, he promises to give other gods a reason to remember him. As a result of this declaration, the world seemingly finds itself in a state of cosmic chaos. Ishum, once again, attempts to convince Nergal to stop. But his pleading doesn't accomplish much. Nergal's acts keep escalating, and soon Marduk is forced to leave his dwelling once again, fully leaving the world at Nergal's mercy. A number of graphic descriptions of the horrors of war, focused on nameless humans suffering because of Nergal's reign of terror, follow. This is still not enough, and Nergal declares his next goal is to destroy the remaining voices of moderation, and in the cosmic order as a whole. However, Isham eventually manages to bring an end to the bloodshed by waging a war himself on the inhabitants of Mount Sharshar, seemingly a site associated with the origin of a period of chaos in the history of the first millennium BCE Babylonia. Isham's war is described in very different terms to Nergal's, and with its end the period of instability comes to a close. Nurgal is seemingly content with the actions of his Sukkal, and, with hearing the other gods acknowledge the power of his rage. The narrative ends with Nergal instructing Ishum to spread the tale of his rampage, but also to make it clear that only thanks to his calming presence, the world was spared. Now what good is a demon, or a god of death, or a god of war, without having a cult or two under his name? Hmm? Hmm? Well, Nergal has one. The main cult center of Nergal was Kutha, and also enjoyed patronage over mashkan Shapir. Cults are also attested for numerous different regions. Naram-Sin was particularly devoted to Nurgal, and referred to him as a caretaker and comrade. Unlike some other deities of the underworld associations, for example Urshkigal, Nurgal is attested in theophoric names names invoking Lagamar are known too. The worship of Nergal does not seem to have spread widely, but in the late Babylonian and early Persian periods, it seems to have fused with two other divinities, which were invoked together as if they were identical. So in the end, Nergal was one of a dozen different gods of hell, rulers of the underworld, whatever you want to say. We have Hades, we have the devil, we have Nergal, and I'm sure there are countless others out there from different cultures and religions around the world. So it's just interesting to see when you go back as far as the Mesopotamian period that, well, all religion, all cultures share a commonality, almost as if things are passed down, stolen, and just adapted to whatever needs of the region might have. But that's going to do it for me this week. My name is Casey, and if you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It's the same thing, just depending on what device you use, so on and so forth. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show, so if you want a shout-out, that is the best way to do it. You can also follow along on social media on Instagram at ominous origins pod, on Twitter at HorrorshotsProd, as in production, or on Facebook at horror shots. So I hope you liked this week's episode. I'll be back next week. So until then.